chapter 1, verses 24 through 55. After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she remained in seclusion. She said, this is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In this second Sunday of Advent, we stand in the middle of the Advent season. We are almost, but not quite there, as we hear this prequel to Christmas, Mary's 
story. We read about the meeting between Mary and the angel Gabriel and what is called the Annunciation. And then the meeting between Mary and her cousin Elizabeth, who will soon become the mother of John the Baptist. And this meeting culminates in this beautiful moment of Mary's song, the Magnificat. Only Luke tells this story. And it's obvious that he has constructed this very carefully. Luke has an intention behind what he is doing. Some scholars would say that it was very important for Luke to underscore the idea of the virgin birth. But I think that that's too simplistic about what's happening here. A story this beautiful isn't just proof that Jesus was born like the other pagan gods were. There has to be more to this Annunciation story. The Magnificat is not simply about Jesus' birth. It's about the gospel, and it's about our discipleship. Renita Reams writes, Like you and me, Mary knows what it means to plan your life one day and look up and find it heading in a totally different direction. She is a young teenage girl from the ghetto of Nazareth who conceives a child before marriage and becomes the unwitting subject of scandal. She is the pregnant woman who must explain to her husband the circumstances of her unplanned pregnancy. She is the wife whose husband wants a divorce. She is the young mother who, with her husband, must flee into exile with an infant shortly after his birth. She is an ordinary woman who experiences the call to shed the shallow external spirituality of her youth to reveal a deeper layer of spirituality that comes from within. She is a young woman struggling to understand a child who is single-minded about his purpose and deserts the family to pursue it. She is the family member who is made to suffer because of another family member's subversive activities. She is a mother standing by and witnessing her son's execution as a criminal. And beyond that, she is the woman who lives to experience the fulfillment of things spoken to her for decades before, and to see her suffering and that of her son vindicated with the coming of the Spirit. Mary's story is familiar to us because of the way it reveals our own discipleship journeys. It's also familiar because of the way it echoes other biblical stories. Much is often made of the similarities between this meeting between Gabriel and Mary and the way God appeared to the women in the Old Testament. And indeed, there are many parallels. The story we know best is when an angel came to Sarah to tell her that she and Abraham would finally have a son. To inherit the promise of God and that their children would be as numerous as the stars of heaven. There is also the story of Hannah who longed for a child and whose prayers were answered by the child who would grow up to become the great prophet Samuel. Both of these stories are about how God keeps promises and about how God brings life and hope where it seems all was lost. But Mary's story is a little bit different. First of all, she has not been longing for a child like Hannah and Sarah were. She has not been waiting for years but unable to conceive. If she is longing for anything, 
It's probably for the day when she and Joseph will celebrate their marriage and begin their family. Mary has many things to look forward to, but what Gabriel sets before her is definitely not what she had in mind. Pregnant before she's officially married? Raising a child with a messianic vocation? In Mary's day, you knew that this would not end well. And so I think we look elsewhere for a parallel story for what Luke is writing. I think the better parallel story here is God's calling of Moses. Neither Moses nor Mary were looking for anything when God appeared and placed before them an astonishing opportunity. Moses was to lead God's people from slavery to freedom. Mary was to become the mother of God's son who would lead humanity from death to life. Both questioned God, who are you? Moses asked, how can this be? Mary asked, how can this be? But both, both of them in that moment of wonder, of knowing that their lives were bringing them something they had never asked for, said yes. Luke has cast Mary's story so that it looks a great deal like Moses's which means that really this is about how God invites human beings to step up and step out into this adventure of discipleship, about how God gives human beings the space and the opportunity to say no or yes, and about how ordinary human beings have the courage to follow where God wants to lead them. Both Mary and Moses could have said no, they could have have turned their backs and walked away because it is partners in the work of the spirit that God wants. Mary's choice to say yes is every bit as crucial to Jesus's birth as her body and her DNA was. The problem with these great and wonderful stories is that very few of us will ever come upon a burning bush or have the angel Gabriel appear before us. So we're tempted to dismiss these stories as the stuff of legend. But you and I are called all the time to step up and step out onto a path that God has laid for us. You and I are probably not called to lead people out of slavery or oppression into freedom. But we know that people in our lifetimes were. We know that Martin Luther King and Nelson Mandela had such a vision that they said yes to. You and I are not likely to be asked to have the word of God take on our flesh, but we are asked every day to give an account of hope that we live and lives within us. The way Luke tells this story, Mary knows where this yes is leading. It is intriguing that Mary's song, the Magnificat, comes before the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. To hear Mary tell it, we have already arrived at the end of the story. Her song is all about what God has already done. This is called the prophetic perfect, describing the future as something that has already happened when we know that it has not. Mary speaks in the prophetic perfect because Mary is a prophet. 
Mary is speaking the words of a prophet, and she follows the journey of one. My soul magnifies the Lord, Mary sings right there in Elizabeth's living room. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Elizabeth and Zechariah are the first to hear the song, but it's not just for them. It's also for her and for the mighty one who has done great things for her. It is for Gabriel who first gave her the good news and who will benefit from it. And for all who will benefit from it, for the proud and powerful who will be relieved of their swelled heads. For the hungry who will be filled with good things, for the rich who will be sent away empty, so that they have room in them for more than money can buy. The song is for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for Sarah, Rebecca, Leah, and Rachel, for every son and daughter of Israel who thought God had forgotten the promise to be with them forever, to love them forever, to give them fresh and endless life. It was all happening inside of Mary, and she was so sure of it that she was singing about it ahead of time, not in the future tense, but in the past, as if the promise had already come true. Prophets almost never seem to get their verb tenses straight, because part of their gift is being able to see the world as God sees it, not divided into things that are already over and things that have not happened yet but as eternally unfolding mystery that surprises everyone. It can be easy to lose how much this song, outside of the time that it was set in, can still speak to us today. I think centuries of Christmas hymns and the gorgeous art have really blunted the radical claim of Mary's song. If you just listen to the words and you forget that they come from the Bible, it sounds a little more like something that might have been said in a great social revolution. He has pulled the powerful down from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away. God's reign is not only about eternal life. It is about earthly justice and hope for the poor. Mary describes the overturning of the current system of consumption and oppression and violence by the norms of God's kingdom, mercy, justice, and love. This holy song repeats the song of God's restoration that has been sung throughout the ages. From the song of Hannah in the days before King David to the song of the psalmist, we hear again and again that God's work in this world consists of setting things right. And Mary sings her song of joy because she sees the birth of her son as the beginning of the fulfillment of the hope that people like her have been singing about for generations. While Mary's song is a song of hope and joy, there is just no way to avoid the fact that there is a barb in the good news that God is working to restore the human family. And that barb is this, that many of us fall into the category of full and rich who will be sent away hungry and empty-handed. Mary's song of joy, of hope, is joyful for those who are lowly and humble, for the least and the last. And yet even here there is good news because Mary is looking at a vision of restoration. She saw in the birth of her son 
the establishment of the justice that makes it possible for all people to thrive, for all people to reach their God-given potential, to experience joy and vibrancy. And so what that means for those of us who are full and rich here and now is that the only way for us to sing Mary's song with the same kind of joy, the joy of the lowly being lifted up, is if we actually engage in God's work of restoration. The only way for us to sing Mary's song with joy and hope is for us to work at lifting up the lowly, filling the hungry and restoring those who have been pushed out. That was what Jesus came to do, to begin God's work of making all things new. That's why we celebrate Advent. It is time for us to focus our attention in God's work in a weary world. It is a time of looking for the salvation that God has promised. It's a time of singing for joy to celebrate the work of restoration that God is carrying out in our very weary world. It is time for us to join that work in this Advent season, not in a theoretical way, but in a way that asks us to get our hands a little rough and that asks us to join hands with one another. In Advent, we sing because we are looking forward to something better than the violence and suffering and injustice around us. We look forward to the kindness and generosity and compassion of our God being fulfilled for all people. We sing because we look forward to peace on earth and mercy mild. It is the heart and soul of our faith. We sing because in and through this marvelous event, light and life to all he brings is a song of hope. And it's what enables us to move past our weariness, our fears and our hurts into God's compassionate love. This joyful faith is what gives us energy to sustain our love as we join in God's work of transforming all creation by making a difference in our corner of the world. We don't have to think very hard to remember that there is no shortage of darkness in our world. All of the headlines that pull on our hearts are reminders that Christ's coming didn't bring about perfection. But the promise of Christ is that we are all asked to be light bearers, to be the people who touch the world and who leave it changed. Being a light is not always easy. Reaching out is definitely not comfortable, but we are called to be the light in the darkness. We are called to be the joy and the peace in a weary world. We light our Advent candles to remind ourselves that life always wins. We volunteer with people learning English. We sign up to bring in blankets and diapers because we know that the work of our hands matters. We light our candles so that others can follow us 
as we do the work of bringing Christ's perfect light into the world. And thanks be to God for that light.